The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. Well, the video you just saw is a true story, and it's not from a production company anywhere. Chloe and Annie Veron made that in their family kitchen. And if you didn't catch everything that was written there, it's a tragic true story. In 1999, the Veron family was on vacation in Colorado, and they were excited that they had rented this big log cabin that had this beautiful view over a cliff. And the parents left their three kids in their SUV while they went inside to sign the lease documents for the vacation rental. And, and when Joy Veron, the mom, turned around, she saw the SUV, which had been in park, and she had the keys in her hand. She saw it rolling towards this cliff. So she started to run to the car, and she got to the door and tried to open it and couldn't on the passenger side. And so then she did the unthinkable. As this truck with her kids in it is rolling towards this cliff, she runs around to the front, and she puts her hands on the bumper. And the reality of the story is that her body, her sacrifice of herself, slowed that vehicle down enough that the grandpa could catch up on the driver's side, open the door, slam on the parking brake just before the kids would have gone over that drop-off. Now, Joy Veron is alive today. She's alive, but she's in a wheelchair. She's been paralyzed since that day in 1999 when the accident happened. It's a tragic story of a mother's undying love for her children. In fact, I found this video. I was just searching on the internet for Mother's Day videos and, and then found this actual video that these daughters had made for their mom and, and Google search it and, and find out, wow, this really happened. But there, there wasn't a ton of stories out there about it. And so I, I found the family on Facebook and I sent them all friend requests, and they said yes. And so then I, I Facebook messaged them, and I said, hey, uh, on Mother's Day, we're preaching about beauty in adversity. And from everything I can see and hear about you, Joy, you seem to be a picture of beauty in adversity. And I asked her to, to write back some of the good that God has worked out of this situation, and I'm going to share it with you at the end of this message, and you're going to see that Joy Veron is a picture of beauty in adversity. And today God wants to make you a picture of beauty in adversity as well. I mean, how can it be for Joy Veron that, you know, after 14 years in a wheelchair, that she's not a bitter, mean, resentful woman? How can it be after 14 years in a wheelchair that she's a woman of joy and gratitude and grace? How can she have a better attitude from her wheelchair than many of us have from our armchairs? At the end of this message, we'll see how. Mother's Day is a day to celebrate. A day to love our moms and celebrate our moms. And yet, if we're honest, for many of us, it's a day that we carry many deep wounds into. I mean, for the Veron family, their wounds are obvious 
maybe your sorrow on Mother's Day is that your mom was not a rock who was always there for you. And you couldn't give a message like that to her. And on Mother's Day, you're reminded of that. Or maybe your mom's no longer with you. Maybe your mom's not a believer and you you pray for her. Mother's Day is a reminder that she doesn't know the Lord yet. Or maybe some of you in here, you are moms and you've loved your kids and you've tried to do all those things for them, but they've, they've made some poor decisions. Maybe they don't talk to you anymore. Maybe they've hurt you deeply. Others, for years, dream of being a mom. Long to be a mom. Do everything in their power to become a mom and it just never happens. That is the case for the woman who we're studying today in God's word, Elizabeth. We're looking at a woman who endured pain and difficulty. A woman who maybe like some of you today would go into different holidays and festivities and through all the noise and all the joy, there was a deep underlying difficulty in her life. We're going to see that Elizabeth could have become a bitter, pessimistic, critical person. But instead, as she trusted in God, she became a joyful, grateful, and gracious person. Here's the big lesson from Elizabeth's life. Tragedies that could define us become victories that define us. When we choose God and when we trust his plan. In other words, a difficulty or a pain that comes into your life, it can define you if you let it. It can be for the rest of your life the thing that defines you. And one day at a time, as that pain and difficulty defines you, you become a little more critical, a little harder in heart, a little more bitter. Or like Elizabeth, you can choose to believe in God more than you believe in your circumstances. And and as you do that, he actually changes who you are. I often pray for you as I'm preparing the message and studying God's word. And, And my prayer is usually along these lines. God, Lord, I just want to communicate your heart directly to the hearts of your people. God, as a perfect heavenly father, what is your heart that you want to tell your people from your word today? Here's what I think your heavenly father wants to tell you today from Elizabeth's life. Give me your struggle and I will work beauty from it. Give me your pain. Give me your struggle. Give it to me. And I'll work beauty from it. But cling to it. Hang on to it. And it will sink you. Let's look in Luke chapter 1 at a godly woman who gave God her struggle. A struggle that she could have clung on to. And one day at a time it could have defined her and made her a bitter critical person, but one day at a time, she gave that struggle to God. And from difficulty, he worked beauty. We're going to look at Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. 
And when we get to Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth is pretty old, too old to have kids, even if she had been fertile, but she wasn't. She was infertile. But even if she had been at this point, Elizabeth is too old to have kids. But Elizabeth wasn't always that old. I mean, think about it. There was a time when Elizabeth was a young woman with smooth skin, attractive. And from what we see in the text, most likely Elizabeth was beautiful on the inside as well as the outside. She loved God. She loved others. She had a sweet spirit. Can you imagine for this beautiful young woman, the joy and, and the glee, just the thrill when Zechariah proposes to her? Zechariah, who's going to be a priest, a, a man of influence and notable in his community. And, and Elizabeth, by the way, had grown up in a priest's family. So she knew what it was like to be married to a priest, and, and she knew, knew what it was like to be a priest's kid, right? And, and so, you know, think about this. I mean, the joy. I mean, she's going to get to be married to a priest, to raise a family with him. Well, month after month, year after year, that family never came. That firstborn never came. And as Elizabeth carried this struggle, this hurt, got more and more painful. Because you see, in this culture, having kids, it wasn't just a nice thing to do. In this culture 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, if you were a woman, that was your value. That was your identity, according to the culture. It was about the only thing that set you apart from a slave in, in many towns and cities. And Elizabeth was unable. She was barren. Damaged goods. As the years pass by, you can almost see her showing up at a a family reunion or one of these Jewish festivals that they'd have multiple times a year. And and there's, there's the little girls that she used to carry around. They used to be babies, and now they're young ladies, and now they're starting to have kids, but Elizabeth isn't. And maybe there's even some of them who, they don't really seem to love the Lord. They don't seem to be making good choices, and now they're having kids, but Elizabeth isn't. She who loved the Lord and had given her life to the Lord had no children. Where was God in Elizabeth's pain? Had he forgotten her? Has he forgotten you? Let's read about Elizabeth now in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, you've just heard about. She was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of the incense came, 
all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You're to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And the angel continues and eventually Zechariah kind of says, Nah, you know, are you sure? (laughs) Have you seen my wife? Have you seen me? And the angel says, okay, this thing's still going to happen, but because you doubted, you're not going to be able to talk until the baby is born. Skip ahead, because next an angel visits Mary. And you know that text pretty well in Luke chapter 1, where the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to give birth to Messiah. Young Mary, who's not even married, has not been with a man, you're going to conceive supernaturally. You're going to give birth to Messiah. And by the way, Mary... You know your relative Elizabeth, who's been wanting a baby all these years and has never been able to have one? Another miracle. She's pregnant too. And her child is going to be the prophet who prepares the way for your child, the Messiah, to save the world from its sin. Well, Mary, as some of you know, was a little bit outcast at that time to be pregnant and not be married yet. It was a big deal. So she runs away, essentially, to Elizabeth's house. So let's read about that in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now think about this for a moment, okay? Imagine that you're Elizabeth. Imagine that your life dream for year after year, decade after decade, is to have a child. And you love God and you serve him faithfully. And you serve your husband who's a priest faithfully. And year after year, you never have a baby. And then you finally get pregnant. And then you have this young cousin who's a teenager who's not even married. And she gets pregnant. And then you get this message that your child is going to be the servant of her child. Would this not be cause for some humans to say this is not fair? I, this isn't right to be bitter, to compare to another person and say, what, I wait 50 years to have a baby? And I serve God every day. And now this girl who's not even married has a baby. And and you're telling me my son is going to be the servant of her son? Wouldn't that be a, a normal human reaction? But we don't see Elizabeth 
with that kind of attitude. In fact, we see this. Elizabeth could have been a bitter, critical person because of the hurts in her life. The hurts in her life, just like the hurts in your life, could have made her very bitter and critical if she had defined herself by them. Instead, she was a loving and grateful person. When this pregnant teenager comes into her front door, she's genuinely thrilled, genuinely grateful to say, how blessed am I that I even get to know you? You're going to have the Messiah. Why was she that kind of person? Because of her faith in God. You could put it this way. Elizabeth chose to believe in God more than she believed in her circumstances. Now think about that. If I asked you today, do you believe in God more than you believe in your circumstances? Almost all of us would say yes, right? Because that's a really nice, churchy, religious answer to give. Of course I believe in God more than my circumstances. Come on. But in reality, our circumstances are all around us. They're what we see. They're what we hear. They're what we feel. They're what we wake up to. They're what keep us up at night. And the ultimate question that you have to answer, that Elizabeth answered, is, God, I'm going to believe in you more than I believe in my circumstances. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. Well, all that God predicted comes true. John the Baptist does grow up in this home with this godly mom and dad, and he becomes the most important prophet in world history. The only prophet who gets to literally say, see that guy on the other side of the river? He's the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The only prophet in world history who actually gets to baptize Jesus in the Jordan River. God used Elizabeth in a huge way. And I wonder, you know, this is not the Bible. This is me speaking over here. If years ago Elizabeth had chosen to define herself by her difficulty, to compare herself instead of looking for God's plan, and day after day became a little more bitter, a little more cynical, if she had gotten to the place where she would have been the kind of person that when Mary came in said, well, that's it. This is not fair. You're saying my kid is going to serve your kid. I wonder, do you think God still would have chosen her to raise John the Baptist? To be John the Baptist's mom? I don't know. We'll let the theologians argue about that one. Here's what I do know. It's never too late for you to stop letting pain define your life. It's never too late for you to start letting grace define your life. Clearly, Elizabeth had chosen to define herself, not by what she lacked, but by what God had. Enough grace for today. Clearly, she had chosen to see life not as a comparison of what I have versus what other people have, but she had chosen to see life as God's eternal plan unfolding every day under his control. I mean, look at verse 45. 
Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. That's, she's talking to Mary. This is genuine joy for Mary. A genuine, generous spirit for this young girl who's really gotten a much better hand of cards than Elizabeth. She could have chosen a road of self-pity, a road of defining herself by pain, but she didn't. Well, let's look at some lessons about Elizabeth's God and about your God. First, when life is difficult, does not mean that God is disappointed with me. Did you know that? Some of us are wired in a way that when bad stuff happens, we think, oh, what did I do to God? Why is God unhappy with me now? You know, if things are bad, God must be mad. When difficulty comes, it's because God is disappointed with me. Well, that wasn't the case with Elizabeth. Look at Luke verses one, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Both of them, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were upright in the sight of God. So was God disappointed with them? No, they're upright in his sight. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. In other words, God's not disappointed, but they're going through a difficulty. They're going through a trial. When bad stuff happens in your life, it doesn't mean that God is disappointed with you. In fact, if you've been here in recent weeks, you've heard, you've heard us explain how this world has fallen because of sin. It's infected. And we're all going to encounter sickness. We're all going to encounter injustice. Evil is going to happen in our lives. And you know what? Evil doesn't come from God. James chapter 1 says, God can't tempt you with evil. He's not the author of evil. Satan does that stuff. Okay, the bad stuff that comes into your life doesn't mean that God is disappointed with you. The question is, will you give it to God so that he can work good from it? Because he's the only person in the universe who can take a bad thing and make it good. Who can take a dead thing and raise it to life. Who can take outright evil and darkness and turn it into good and light. In Luke 1, we see that God is pleased with Elizabeth even as she's suffering a decades-long trial. Do you need that assurance right now? That the difficulties you're going through, they don't mean that God is disappointed with you? Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this, There is therefore no condemnation, no disappointment, no, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Are you in Christ Jesus? Do you know for sure today that you're in Christ Jesus? Here's how scripture explains it. When God the Father looks down on you and he is holy, he's pure, there's no sin, there's nothing wrong in him. When he looks down on you, uh, he, he does see your right things that you've done and your wrong things that you've done. Your right things, the Bible calls them righteousness. And there's a verse in the Bible where it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's talking about your salvation. You cannot work enough right things. You cannot do enough right things. You can't write enough checks or knock on enough doors or jump through enough religious hoops to work your way to God. 
Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. What scripture says is, for all who will believe in Christ, when you believe that Jesus really died for your sins, and you come to God and you say, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died for me. And and Lord, I want Jesus to be in charge of my life. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I need his forgiveness. I need his resurrection power. The moment you do that, scripture says a few things happen. One, you're adopted into God's family. But here's what it means to be in Christ. It's like you're under the umbrella of his righteousness. And so scripture says, though our sins were as scarlet, they're washed as white as snow. If you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, your sins, your mistakes are separated from you as far as the east is from the west. They're buried in the depths of the ocean floor. God remembers them no more. So when God the Father looks down at you, if you're in Christ, if you've believed in Christ, he's never disappointed with you because he doesn't see your righteousness. He sees the very righteousness of his own son who will never disappoint him, who has never made a mistake. That's the free gift of salvation. That's what Hebrews chapter 7 is talking about when it says that Jesus Christ, the righteous ever lives to intercede for you. What it's saying is when Satan comes to God and says, hey, I saw him lusting. I saw her gossiping. There's sin in that person's life. Well, if you're in Christ Jesus, according to Hebrews 7, 24 and 25, Jesus ever lives. He never leaves. He's standing at the father's right hand to say, yeah, that sin's paid for. Yeah, that sin's paid for. When God looks at you, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you've believed in him, he sees the holiness of his son. So that's what the therefore means in Romans 8 verse 1 when it says there is therefore because of all of that. No condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know Christ is your Lord and Savior? If you don't, then today, let today be the day of your salvation and call out to him. You can do it right now from your heart and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want you to be my savior. And if you've done that, if you know Christ is your savior, if you are in Christ Jesus, then God will never be disappointed with you because he doesn't see your righteousness anymore. He sees that of his own son. Do you need to know that today? Do you need to know that like Elizabeth, yeah, there are going to be difficulties in your life. They don't mean that God is disappointed in you. Next, when it seems like God has forgotten you or was mistaken, he still has a plan. Think about Elizabeth at her, I don't know, 55th or 60th birthday. She must have felt like God had forgotten all about her. And she could have believed those feelings, but she trusted in God. Because in reality, he hadn't forgotten about her. He had chosen her to play a key role in his eternal plan. Is there an area of your life right now where you feel like God has forgotten you? An area of your life where you feel like, I know they say God doesn't make mistakes, but I think he did here. Seemed like God had forgotten Elizabeth, but he hadn't. He hasn't forgotten you. 
seemed like God had made a mistake. But he hadn't. He hasn't made a mistake in your life either. Remember those words from the Father to you today. Give me your struggle. And I'll work beauty from it. Beauty and adversity. But keep clinging to it. Keep hanging on to it. Keep trying to define yourself by it. And it's going to weigh you down. It's going to drag you down. It's going to sink you. Listen to this promise of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, to all of us who are in Christ Jesus. As it is written, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man. In other words, you can't even imagine. The people who made Avatar can't even imagine the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But you know what that word prepared? That's a future word. It reminds me of the day that I asked Mel to marry me. And I prepared for it. There was this little mountain in Cave Creek where I drove up there and I I set up this little table and put out these rose petals and I prepared for it. I learned how to ask her, will you marry me in Russian? Because she loves Russian. Vidish zamenya zamuj. Still remember it, babe? I'm such a nerd. Sorry, guys. Okay, but preparing, preparing is all about the future. And God says, you know what? You've never even seen with your eyes. You've never even heard with your ears. You can't even imagine how great the plans are that I have for you, but they're prepared. You're not there yet. You're still in a sinful world. So when bad things happen, don't think he's disappointed with you. Don't think he's forgotten you. He's gone to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will return, he promises you. Will you choose today to believe in God more than you believe in your circumstances? To believe, God, I don't see it, but I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to believe you still have good plans for me because that's what you say. And I trust you and I believe in you more than I believe in my pain, more than I believe in my past, more than I believe in anything else. Next, we see this. When human nature would make us jealous or bitter, God can make us generous and better. Just think this interaction with Mary is incredible. If we really take the time to put ourselves in Elizabeth's sandals, whatever she wore, Uggs probably. If we we really take the time to put ourselves in Elizabeth's place and imagine now I'm finally pregnant and this young kid, my kid's going to serve her kid. She was clearly a person who was not living out of her own human disposition. She was living the life that God shaped for her as she trusted him one day at a time. And, And do you realize that? that you can have an Elizabeth life and legacy by just one day at a time saying, God, again, I trust you more than my circumstances. Or you can have a very normal human life and legacy of someone who's just bitter and hurt, cantankerous, be the ninth grade vocabulary word, because their pains and their wounds no one else understands. And that's true, but God does. 
and they don't have to define you. Here's the big lesson from Elizabeth. Whether I become that bitter person or a better person all depends on these simple choices. First, will I believe in my circumstances or believe in my God? This is easier said than done, folks. When you're sick, when your body's broken, when people you love and have invested in turn on you and hurt you, when you feel pain or grief or abandonment so deeply to choose, God, as much as all those feelings are real, I'm not going to put my trust in them. I'm going to put my trust in you. God, help my unbelief. Help me walk by faith and not by sight. Live a life that's not defined by all these hurts, but a life that's defined by your grace and your plan for me. And next we see this, will I dwell on human comparisons or on God's eternal plan? I mean, just think about it. If Elizabeth had lived a life where she just constantly compared herself to others, others who were getting pregnant, others who were getting what she wanted, even though she was serving God, she would have become that, that very cold person. But she didn't. Why? Because she was not looking at reality by how do I compare to others. She was looking at it as what is God's plan? What is God's eternal plan? So when an angel comes to her and says, hey, you're going to have a baby, and, and he's going to be the servant of the Messiah, she doesn't go, oh, come on. Couldn't I have just gotten pregnant in my 20s and had a normal life? You know, that's what a life of comparing would have led to. But she goes, God, really? I get to meet the Messiah? That's why I waited all these years? That was your plan? That's awesome. Do you live your life comparing yourself to others? Or do you live your life looking for God's eternal plan for you? Well, I want to close by giving you one more picture. of What does it look like to say, God, I'm going to believe in you more than I believe in my circumstances. When I Facebook messaged Joy Veron, the mom from that video that you saw, who's been in a wheelchair for 14 years now, told her that we were going to be talking about Elizabeth and how God works good out of terrible things. Here's what she wrote back. Hi, John. I'd be honored for you to use the video. About a year after my accident, I was still in rehab, searching and waiting on something to make me whole again. She's paralyzed. She's got young kids. Kids were seven and five when this happened. I was in my bedroom early one morning listening to my young children get ready for school. I realized what a sad house we had. That's a, a life defined by tragedy, right? There was just a feeling of grief always in the air. It hit me so strongly. I realized God was there and could bring good from this terrible event in our life. But I had to allow it 
and welcome it. I had to allow it and welcome it. While the kids were at school, I went out and bought them journals. I told them we'd keep a list of the good things and bad things from the accident. It wasn't long before we saw the good list far outweigh the bad. In fact, it became more of a mental thing, and eventually we just made notes in our life of the good things that came from the accident. I saw as my attitude changed, joy and laughter began to fill our house again. This isn't to say that there aren't still difficult days. But I can truly say the blessings have far outweighed the negative. I'm going to listen to this. From her wheelchair, on her iPad, in an airport, she types this. It wasn't until I welcomed God to bless us through something that was so difficult that we began to heal. Give me your struggle and I'll work beauty from it. Cling to your struggle and it will sink you. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today with all sorts of wounds, sorts of pains that truly no one else can understand, but Jesus, you do. You hung them around your neck. You were beset with our weakness. You knew Elizabeth's struggle, and you had a good plan for her. You know Joy Veron's struggle. And you're with her every day in that wheelchair. As you miraculously fill her home with joy and laughter. And Lord, you know the struggles in our hearts. Father, we come to you today and we want to be like Elizabeth. We want to be like Joy. We want to be pictures of beauty and adversity. So Lord, where all of our feelings scream otherwise, we say to you right now, we believe in you more than we believe in our circumstances. We trust in you more than we trust in our circumstances. Father, every day would you give us the grace hand these things over to you, that you'd make us people who are not bitter, but better. People who are not cold, but who are generous. Father, the way that you filled Joy Veron's home with laughter and warmth after she turned her struggle over to you, Lord, would you fill homes in this room with that laughter and warmth as old pains and new pains and struggles and difficulties are turned over to you, the one who works good from all things, the one who raises the dead to life. 
who brings beauty from devastation. And Father, would you do that in our hearts right now in this moment? Lord, there are moms in here who have decades-old wounds, and every day that pain says, I will define your life. And Lord, that's the enemy talking to them. Give them the grace today to say, nah, that pain is not going to define me anymore. I'm a daughter of the king. I'm bought with a price. I've been touched by the one who heals. The one who works all things together for good. And no matter how loud the feelings are, I decide I believe in you, God, more than I believe in my circumstances. Lord, you declare that you have good plans for us. You've prepared a place for us. Let us live in that faith today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.